The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman, Brett King, Cameron Colley and Alec Doughty. Thank you very much, everyone, and welcome along to another episode of The Boys of Tech. This is episode 128 for Monday, 8th August 2011. And just before I introduce the panellists for this week, I think at the end of last week's show, I said uh, two to the power of eight. In fact, uh, as, as uh, people have pointed out, two to the power of eight is actually 256, not 128. So this yes. is show two to the power of seven. That voice you heard there was Brett King. Welcome along, Brett. Howdy. And also I'd like to welcome Alec Doughty to the show. Welcome, Alec. Greetings. So Alec's in uh, Brisbane, Australia. Brett uh, and I are sitting here in Wellington, New Zealand. And uh, we're going to kick off the show with a a follow-up from last week. In fact, uh, it is, <laughs> it's about the Internet Explorer story. Internet Explorer users having a lower IQ. Turns out that story was complete bogus. Yes. Yeah, so, so fortunately, <laughs> we, we spent most of the, our time discussing that arc, article arguing over uh, browser compatibility and well, adherence to the standards. <laughs> so we kind of ignored the story anyway. The bit that's yes. really fitting for me is I, I just couldn't believe that you and Brett were more intelligent than Cam and I. So this, this kind of... <laughs> explains that. Oh, but it's <laughs> obvious anyway. Oh, now, now. I'm sure all the listeners know that. <laughs> I Look, I, I'll take whatever you give me because I started it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, the story was made up. The site is believed to be bogus. The thing is, no one knows why. And one of the malware companies, it might have been Sophos, I'm not sure, um, they had a look at some of the uh, content on this on the site that delivered that story. None of it seems to contain malware. So no one really knows what the motive behind this was Uh, to make people who are using older versions of ie go oh crap they think i must be really dumb i should upgrade well but why who wanted to go to those links security firm doesn't want to have to could be could be yeah Uh, alec (laughs) what did you suggest uh the joker Oh, the Joker, right. Well, yes, yes. He's always up for that sort of action. That's a supervillain move, that is, if ever I saw one. Indeed. Now, another follow-up I want to uh, just mention briefly as well. Uh, This goes back a little while now, and this is, you may remember Paul Seglia, which is a a New York man who claims he's entitled to 50% of uh, Facebook because he claims... he did early coding or something for it. That's right. He paid for it. He paid for it. No, no, he did that. Yeah. I, I thought he did early, yeah, I thought he did early coding. Work on no. Yeah, he had a contract. No, 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 no. He, he had a contract, yes, but the issue was that he, he was funding in, I, I use air quotes there, but he was funding the project. So he lent Zuckerberg like one or $2,000 in exchange for 50%. Or It was a lot lower at the time, but there was a deadline that, that if it was missed, he got like 1% every day after that, and it sort of... Oh, so I thought it was the other way around. But in any event, uh, you know, Zuckerberg has been saying that, oh, look, this is not true. This is made up. Someone's just wanting a slice of pie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the story here, we we don't really know many details. 
this is all behind a bit of a shroud. No one knows what's going on. But the uh, the one bit we do know is that, according to Facebook, they claim that they have found some telltale evidence of a forged contract because Siglia's computers were seized and the contents examined as part of this lawsuit. And apparently they call it a smoking gun of evidence. That's right, a smoking gun. It always helps when you find the smoking gun. It does, it does. And Siglia has said he hired Zuckerberg through a Craigslist ad to write the code for a project. Oh, yes. And, uh, uh, yeah, it is and that. paid Zuckerberg yeah, right. a thousand bucks for coding. Huh. Because it seemed like the story was the other way around. That's the way I understood yeah, it. that's the way I remember it. <laughs> yeah. It's from previous articles. Oh, well. Whichever so way it went. Uh, uh, it's kind of been too clear. Yeah, well, I think what we know is now is that it's likely to be Baker's, is, is, well, we, we won't know until it go, plays out, but, uh, you know, they wouldn't have come out and said this if, if there was nothing. I mean, we basically came to this conclusion like two months ago. Well, we, we had- on, to, on one of our previous episodes. No, no, so. well, exactly. It was suggested, like, is this a fake? You know, well, yeah. how can this be? Mm-hmm. Now, we have a birthday. This is a very, very important birthday. Oh, yes. Friday, just been, was 20 years since the World Wide Web opened to the public. Yay! Ooh, was there cake? Uh, no, no, there was nothing. It just got opened up. Someone hit that. I know, but I mean, button. on Friday, was there cake? Oh, for the, for the birthday. Yeah. I, I had don't cake, know. But it wasn't for that. Yeah. I didn't have cake. I had biscuits, I think. Oh, no, I had yeah. cake, actually, on Friday. I lied. No, I, had I had a cookie on Friday. I had cake and I had some lollies. Cookies count, I think. I'll say that Birthday my cookie cookies. was in celebration. Yeah. I had a minty. It wasn't, but I will say it is. <laughs> but happy birthday, World Wide Web. Absolutely. 20 I, years I, I, in the public domain. I kind of wish that, that one of the other names that had been proposed at the time actually got forward. What were some of those names? The Information Mesh. Oh, the information no. mesh. Let's just call it the info Better mesh. Than the info oh, mesh. Look on the mesh. Nah, it wouldn't have worked. Look on the mesh. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, the it wouldn't have meshed with modern. The mine of information was the other option, and like, let's go, go on the mine. Doesn't really have a nah, nah. Let's go in the mine. Yeah. But that just makes it seem like a lot of work. Hard work. You're going to get emphysema, all kinds of other horrible skin conditions from being in the damp and dark. And when you come out, the environmentalists are going to say, what were you doing down in the mine? <laughs> so the web is the best name, yeah? Uh, I think so. That's the world of, wide of web. Ones, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, of those options. But, you know, it really... <laughs> I think they should have just called it the intertubes. The, yeah, yeah, the intertubes. That's it. Exactly. The so, mesh webs. Now, I've actually, I actually <laughs> saw the very, very first web server. I mean, this, of course, happened in CERN in Switzerland, uh, which is, by the way, just out of Geneva. And I, when I visited there about five, six years ago, I, I took a look around and they still have the original, very first in the world, first web server. So yeah, that, that's nice. obviously not, that's, that's retired. What is it serving now? Museum quality it, it is, now. It that's is awesome. A, it is in a museum, in the CERN museum. It does nothing. It just sits in a glass case. <sighs> and you is it running? Have it still plugged no, in? No, no. Uh, a single web page. Well, they could. Done in HTML. 0.01 beta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's... Which at that time probably didn't even have, like, head tags or anything, head attack. Indeed, it was just text. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it probably, I mean, come on, what computer from 1991 still works? Particularly machines built back then, they were built to last, not to... The motherboards yeah, they blow, don't they? robust. No, the motherboards like blow. You didn't and have tiny, tiny, uh, tiny if they were kept in crammed so close together that they shorted or did anything if a speck of dust landed on them. We're talking about machines with huge resistors, huge transistors, and all kinds of stuff with massive gaps between all of the different circuitry. No, it would have still worked. And we're not talking 81 here. We're talking 91. I thought then things were still pretty much the same as they were now. You still had the, the AT motherboards. They weren't ATX, but they were AT, weren't they? I have yes, a laptop from the 90s, were. which still works. There are still Commodore 64s that okay. still work. Yeah. Original Commodore 64s. So I think your comment is inaccurate. <laughs> All right, maybe it is. They still work as long as they've been taken care of. All right, okay. Yeah. So, yes, you know, the thing is, nowadays people don't even know that the World Wide Web is just a part of the internet, uh, admittedly a large exactly. part, but it's, yeah. you know, there's more to the internet than just the World Wide Web. People don't oh, realise yeah. that. In the beginning, yeah. Nowadays it's pretty much the be-all and end-all of most people's internet experience. Correct, yep. Is the World Wide Web. The thing is, I mean, Skype, here's an example. We're using Skype over the internet. Is it touching the web? Probably not. No, because it doesn't use the HTTP protocols. Exactly. 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 It doesn't need to go anywhere near a web server, and it doesn't, as you say, talk HTTP. But if you ask somebody who didn't know, they would probably say it's got something to do with... The, the well, the thing is, they use the word internet. People use the word internet to mean the, the web. The, web. Yeah. the uninitiated mix the two up together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about Samsung and in Australia. Alec, this will probably interest you because you're in Australia. The, make me angry. Uh, make you angry, will it? So <laughs> yes. a- Apple have successfully managed to at least temporarily block the sale of Samsung tablets in Australia, basically patent claims. Which is ridiculous. Once again, yeah. it's, it's Apple trying to yeah stop any yeah. competitors to con- yeah, maintain Ap- its monopoly in the tablet market. Apple going, we only have a 94% market share. We're so poor. Please feel sorry for us. Feel sorry for us. We don't want any competing tablets, especially not one that's got better hardware than ours. We've got to keep ours. We've got to have the iPad be synonymous with touchpads. But if the courts agree... The touchpad interface is the only interface. If the courts agree, then then the courts are supporting a monopoly. No, 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 but there must be a case to answer to. There is obviously... They've obviously ripped off the iPad in a way they're not supposed to. No? I mean, why would a court I, 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 say I yes think, to that? I think some of this is starting to get down into, you know, we're starting to dig into patents which prevent competition. Exactly. They're, they're not, they're not protecting patents. Yeah. Exactly. So, so the, the patent system is so broken now that it's gone way past the uh, protecting innovation to stopping innovation. Yeah, actually, I, yeah. I, look, I don't disagree with that. I, and stopping competition. Yeah. If you can, yeah. for instance, if you can patent the touch interface, then you hold the monopoly on that interface. Do you know that Apple hold the rights to the term multi-touch? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is a concept, not an implementation. Patents exactly. are supposed to be about implementations. 
No, well, not no, you, you, but hang on, hang on. You can still not about concepts. No, no, no. But it's not. It's more than the concept. It's actually a, a word, a phrase. It's a, it's a, it's a. It's well, a, if it's a word or a phrase, it's then, like boys then you're talking trademark, not patent. I assume it's a trademark or a. But then you'd have to a, ponder whether or not that was too generic. Yeah, possibly. So, yeah, there's some serious overhaul of the trademark system. I don't think there's anything wrong with the with sorry with the patent system. I don't think there's anything really wrong with the trademark system, but the patent system needs a serious overhaul because it's actually preventing innovation, particularly in startups. You can only innovate these days if you are a big multinational company that already has like a thousand or two thousand patents in your portfolio. Because um, mm. otherwise, if, if you do anything on the web these days, or even in technology, not just, just the web, but in technology, you, you can infringe on a bogus patent that someone somewhere, some patent troll has, has, has filed. They're not implementing it at all. They're just sitting on it, all right? And then unknowingly, you infringe it, and then all of a sudden you're injuncted, you're owing fees and damages, and you're not stealing anything. You haven't copied anything because there's nothing to copy. This is just another part of the, the what's wrong with the patent system and how yep. these large companies are misusing patents to try and stymie competition. Exactly. <laughs> Makes me angry. <laughs> does, uh, does. Makes me angry too. Okay, it's before ridiculous. we get too angry, should we talk about the uh, the Swede national who was held for building a nuclear reactor in his kitchen? This guy's a genius. Can I he, it's absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely, the, absolutely a genius. It's like the core of, you know, you know I, I could read about it or I could try and do it myself. Exactly. So just a little bit of background. This guy in Sweden was interested in nuclear physics and wanted to run a little project. And he decided, let's see if I can build a, a nuclear reactor. Eventually, as he gets partway through the project, which is completely openly published on his blog as he's working on it. Yeah, he's been blogging he, about it for three months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he eventually decides, maybe I should just check to see whether there are any legal issues I need to worry about, you know. So he contacts the relevant uh, agency in Sweden and uh, eventually they turn up with police and arrested him. Mm. He was later <laughs> released, but yeah. Well, I love his comments you you... after that, though. Well, what did he say? What are some of his comments? Tell us. <laughs> To, uh, to get it to generate electricity, you would need a turbine and a generator, and that is difficult to build yourself, he says. So he actually openly admits that while he was building a reactor, it was completely pointless because he wouldn't have been able to get any power out of it. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't he have been able to generate what? any actual power. He was building a bomb. No. He was playing around and experimenting. It's what you used to do as a teenager. I, I, I agree. I mean, I... I You're being I sarcastic, his, aren't you, Alec? Well, no, I, I admire his maker's spirit of getting in there and rolling up his sleeves and, and, and trying something. But at the end of the day, if there was no way to actually extract power out of this as a power generator, then the only other thing it can do is it's explode. It explode, yeah, overheat, yeah, well, yeah. But the thing is, I, I mean, you know, I am in two minds... On the whole, I think he's that's great. He's a genius, and this sort of thing is all very well. However, of course, the bounds being so long as the public safety is not at risk. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so long he, as there's no safety issues, why not? 
And he spent $950 on the project in total. Yeah, yeah. 950 US, I think that would be. It was 6,000 kroner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, three different types of radioactive material. Materials. <laughs> One of which was pulled out of a commercial smoke alarm. Yeah, well, there is, you know. Oh, yeah, there's radioactive can, material in the smoke yeah, alarm. Absolutely. You can, if and you if have you enough go of to an antique store, you can buy some old clocks and scrape off the radium, which is probably still on the dials. Oh, oh for the probably, glow in the dark. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. was a, a, several years ago, a teenager in America had the same situation. He was a massively into physics and into nuclear physics and he gathered a whole heap of radium dials off of old clocks and he scored big in one uh, antique shop where he got a clock with a radium dial but inside the clock as well was a little bottle of radium so that you could touch up the dial. Is that right? Oh. Yeah. A little radium paint. So he had tons of radium. Oh, man. And yeah, he <laughs> eventually got found out and his garage was taken away by, you know, contamination people because it was quite well contaminated. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, he hadn't done anything particularly bad. Whereas this guy had what reports that he'd created a. Mm, mini meltdown in his kitchen as part of his experiments. Yeah. So I'm just wondering that's what sort what of shielding him. he was using. Yeah. For $950. That's what contact like aluminium foil. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I hope well, he's- Well, $950, you could get a decent amount of lead for that, surely. Yeah. No, I think most of that went on the actual radioactive material. <laughs> I know one place where there's, there's radioactive material. It's your country. Well, it's in the ground. Yeah. It has oh, to be mined. Yeah. But you well, mine it, don't you? It doesn't really have to be mine. Not personally, that no, well, they're not you personally. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not personally. But, um, but yes, you, yes, you're Australia representing is. Australia here. You, you, you're <laughs> representing Australia. How's that? Mm. So, yes, Australia does export a lot of uranium. Indeed, it does. All right. Yeah, stuff yeah, that yeah, ends should... up in American reactors comes from oh, Australia. China is a, a, a heavy purchaser. Mm. Purchaser or exporter? Purchaser. Well, they would be an importer. Yeah. Well, from their point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought yeah. they might be exporting that stuff as well. Do they not have a, a, a whole lot of reserves themselves? Oh, they yeah. do. They do. And they, they, but they, they're consuming they have... more than, is that what, what the story is? Well, can... well, it's, yes. it's different well, they're qualities. Stockpiling. They're stockpiling is what they're doing. Oh, like the rare earth metals as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay, now from one arrest to another, let's talk about Lulsec because in Scotland, a man by the name of Jake Davis, 18-year-old, was charged- A.K.A. Topiary. That's right. (laughs) Yep, Topiary. Was charged in connection to some of the Lulsec hacking that's been going on. The police apparently found 750,000 passwords on his computer. Mm. So there you go. As well as drafts of the, oh, yeah, uh, that's the other thing. reports and stories yeah. that have come out that's, for Anonymous and Lulsec. That's pretty incriminating evidence, if you ask me. And, and more to the point, what they called out was the, uh, the fake death report for Rupert Murdoch that ended oh, up on the site. Oh, yes, sun. that's right. He had a fake <laughs> yeah. Rudolph, Draft Rupert Murdoch fake story, report. death story. Yes, that's mm. right. So I think uh, he's he's going to be a goner. Well, mind you, he's only 18. He'll probably get a slap on the wrist. And Well, he has. He's been given a curfew and has been banned from having access to the internet and has been placed in No, but that's arrest, why he's on I bail. Guess, he's on bail, mother. though. And he's, he's wearing a, uh, a, like an ankle bracelet as well. Yeah, that's so right. He's got an ankle yeah. bracelet. But remember, he is on bail, so he hasn't he's, actually he's been sentenced. He's blinged up. Mm. 
So yeah. he, he he might still, I don't know, get something. Who knows? Yeah. So they are actually oh, yeah. finding these lolsec people bit by bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very hard to be completely anonymous on the yeah, internet, when, as when, people when, from lolsec and anonymous should already know. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. When and when you rile up that many different countries and authorities, yeah, you're bound to, yeah, one cyber, of them is gonna is gonna find you. Resources yeah. will be pulled. Exactly. Yeah. All of the things that those internet hack division places yeah. use to, you know, do exactly. their business. Because the no, government cybercrime have yeah, the same yeah. facilities and the same abilities. Yeah. See, their mistake was targeting Western companies and Western authorities. No one goes after the, uh, the hackers that are hacking Chinese or North Korean sites. Mm. Because mainly because those countries can't <laughs> don't have the appropriate relationship with the the rest of the Western countries. Exactly. To pursue those. But that's also why China isn't actively pursuing its own citizens that are causing some of the the hacks that are coming out of out of China. So it's just part of the internet cold war that's happening. Yeah, it's very much what it is, isn't it? It is a like a cold war. Now yeah. let's let's talk about copyright. Now, Brett, you brought my attention to the story that in Britain they're kind of going to rewrite the whole copyright system. Yeah, so it's due for an overhaul. Mm. The the British government has pledged that they are going to make a raft of significant changes to the current copyright law. To you know, did you say the copyright law? I think. I might have. I believe he did. <laughs> copyright law. The, co- the copyright law. <laughs> I like that. I, you know, if if this goes in the bloopers, we can't make it the title. But if it doesn't go in the bloopers and we leave it, we can make it the no, title no, of the show. No, that's the title. That's the title. Yeah, okay, it's the title of the show. Copyright <laughs> raw. Well done, Brad. Yay. Excellent. Woo. <laughs> back on form. You are. Absolutely. There's nothing like a bit of spoonerism, eh, to go in the show. <laughs> so you were saying that they're going to uh, pretty much uh, overhaul it? Yeah, yeah. Massive overhaul of it to basically fix it up and to protect some of the rights that consumers expect. Yeah, such as uh, copying or or backing up CDs and DVDs for personal use. And format shifting as well. You know, the thing is, you've got to admit, uh, though, the British system, like what we had here in New Zealand and somewhat still have, is kind of backwards in that they don't have format shifting rights. And and we, in fact, I must admit, we we supposedly were going to get them, but we, we don't really effectively now. Yeah, yeah, they, we got screwed. Well, we do, we do have them. Here's the way they did it here. They said you, you're allowed to format shift unless the CD has a, a, you know, an agreement on it that says you can't. Of course, every CD comes out with a thing saying you're not allowed to copy this. Oh, indeed, yeah. and that's so, one of the brilliant things that the the UK government has played to. They're they're changing. They're, yeah. they're yeah. keen to see that consumer rights granted by law can't be taken away by contract. Exactly. So they will get, if this goes ahead, they'll get format shifting and there's nothing that the music industry can do to stop that. Precisely. And that's the the other good thing. Yeah. I think the other good thing about what the British government is actually doing here, the UK government, sorry, is that the site blocking provisions in last year's Digital Economy Act, which was designed to force all ISPs to use a common blacklist to block certain websites, IP addresses. A bit like what um, you, um, Australia and New and, Zealand are doing. 
Exactly. But the, their move now is to say, actually, we're not going to do that. Even though it's law, we're not going to enforce it. Mm. We're not going to bring it forward. Yeah. So ho- hopefully Australia and New Zealand will actually follow the UK's lead here and, and scrap any plans they had. New Zealand's is voluntary, I must say. So that's one difference. Yeah. I think, is Australia's voluntary or is, is that compulsory? Do you know? Um, it's, Australia's it's master the, blacklist is compulsory, isn't it? Well, at, at the moment, it's still in test pilot phase. Yeah. A couple of the ISBs have voluntarily started doing it. Oh, okay, so right now yeah. there's, there's no mandate. To no, there's no mandate. It. But if, if it is successful, they will mandate it eventually. Mm. I hope they don't, but... Yeah, <laughs> it'll be uh, a sad day in the internet in yes, Australia yeah. it will. if that comes online for all of them. The thing is, I've said this before on the show, but I'll say it again. It seems so ironic that we as Western nations point at places like China and say, look at them, they've got a great firewall, as we call it, the great firewall of China. They're not allowed to see this, they're not allowed to access this and that. And Indeed, what are we doing? Denying them freedom. Exactly, and what are we, and we're doing exactly that. Now, admittedly... Yeah. Admittedly, the governments are saying the only things that will be blocked are child pornography, uh, but who really knows? And I don't Precisely, really believe especially that. Especially when the blacklist themselves, especially the Australian one, yeah. are, you know, they're secret. Ex- well, it so is literally a blacklist. Yep. It yeah, it is literally yeah. a blacklist. You do not yeah. know what they're blocking. Well, so, which so means is the one they here. slip in anything they wanted to block. I know. And you, yeah. as yeah. a citizen of the country, would have no idea what it is that they're denying you from seeing. And Brett, don't forget, we covered a story here of, I think it was the Australian one as well, that there was an example of a site that shouldn't have been blocked that was, that was caught yeah. up in it. Now, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't deliberate. A, a false positive. Yeah, it was a yeah, false, false positive. positives because yeah. they're just blanket banning IP ranges yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to get around for it, get around an, an actual IP where, where you might have a, a shared hosting. Yeah, you could have some legitimate material on that stuff. Yeah, a that. number of different websites using using the, the same IP address and every website gets blocked just because there's one dodgy customer sharing that. Yeah. And that's, that's not legit. The rest that's of them. seriously not legit. Yeah. Yeah, so that, yeah. that, that's one of the issues with blocking IP addresses and not domains. Yep. So the other thing that's changing in the UK, uh, or that's proposed for the UK overhaul, is that orphan works, because currently oh, orphan yeah. works, um, they're basically out of, out of print works, they can't be copied, right, because copyright holders can't be found. Yeah. That's the yeah. current situation. Well, it's, it's not that they can't be copyright, it's that they can't be used. Can't be copied, their, I said. Yeah. yeah, yeah, copied. Copied, indeed. Mm. Yeah. They they're just languishing there in, in no man's land yeah. where people aren't, unless you can find an original edition of it, you can't get it anywhere else. Nobody else can exactly. provide a print of it. And yeah, it's just uh, the US have let it lie for such a long time. Yeah. And yeah, the British governments have pledged that they're going to reform that. So That's- allow uses of those orphan works. That's they need. They need to set something up, though, that that if in the future someone comes along and proves that they're the descendant of of whoever the original copyright holder was, that they can then basically take ownership again. But wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. Before I don't you before think you that's do that, any good. Before you do Does that, have stuff that you know somebody who says that they're a blah 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 descendant of Shakespeare and wants copyright on all this stuff. Do There's we, a difference between orphan works and public domain works. Yeah, but it, it 
it switches from orphan works when the copyright holders are gone to becoming public domain. Hang on a sec. Currently, if I produce, like, okay, let's say uh, if I if I produce something and then years later I die, do my descendants get your estate? My IP? Do, does my estate re- retains, does that go to my estate? Yes. But for a they certain do. number of they years. Do. Yeah. It, it only exists in copyright for a certain number of years. So can it then be transferred to further down the line or does it just disappear? Like, you know what I'm saying? No, so it's supposed to disappear at the end of the, the lifetime of that work, which is a certain number of years after yeah, the, dip- that work has died. So, Alec, what you're suggesting is going further then because effectively right now we've just agreed that it can't be passed down the line. So why would you want to introduce something where a descendant can then claim it? Well, yeah. no, because because the author can die before the expiry date of that work forces it into public domain. Yeah, right. but right, so but right now, but right now, under copyright, the copyright on a work extends for a certain period after the author's death. Yeah, and in New Zealand, it's fifty years. I don't know what yeah. it is in other countries, so for but fifty years after Edwin dies, all of the stuff Edwin made is still under Edwin's copyright. Obviously, governed Absolutely. by Edwin's estate. Yeah, and, and if after twenty are. twenty, but after, after those twenty years, if after twenty years someone comes forward and is able to prove that they are part of of um, Edwin's estate, then what happens? Because you're still within you're still within the the period of time. Yeah, before it goes public. Yeah. Cop- copyright That's is where enforceable. We get all this orphan works issues and why it's been languishing in Congress for ages. There should be a specific number of years that it exists as an orphan work. It's like we can't find the copyright holder. The the original author has died. It's twenty years later. Uh, for the last five years, we have not been able to contact anybody who is the copyright holder of this or find anybody who's the copyright holder of this. Then after this number of years, it goes into public domain straight away instead of waiting for the rest of it and leaving it languishing there. That's Absolutely. what it should be. But let's it not, let's not confuse. It be left around for ages waiting yeah, but, for but if, somebody if someone, to suddenly come no, up no, no, and no, say, I'm, you I'm not suggesting. I want the copyright of that. I'm, I'm not suggesting that, that we just leave it open perpetually. I'm, I'm saying there is a, a window of time right now where that copyright becomes unenforceable and it enters mm. public domain. So as long as the descendants come but, within that window. But the window right now is till the end of its copyright period before it goes into public domain. That's the whole point exactly. of these orphan works. The what the No, no, hang on a sec, hang on a sec. Let's not confuse orphan works with the, the, the 50 in New Zealand, the 50-year, and it might be different in other countries, but you know the, the period of time before it goes into public domain. Orphan works is when you can't attribute it to any, any copyright holder. You have no idea who exactly. it is. Yeah, that's yeah. different, that's different to, to well, knowing no, who it belongs it's still, to. Yeah, it's still the same. We're still talking about the same thing. If you created a piece of work, Edwin, and then passed away, and then all of the rest of the people in your family, whatever, you all went at the same time. There was nobody else. Your work suddenly becomes an orphan work. No, I don't think it does. I think it just stays copyright to me for 50 years, and then but goes it's not copyright to domain. you. It's copyright to your estate. And if there's exactly. nobody to look after your estate, then it's an orphan work. Yeah. Is it? That's what we're talking about here. It's an orphan work. What we're talking about is the transition from being an orphan work to being a public domain work. And if while it's still up an orphan work and it's still got time left remaining, if someone can claim 
can, can come and prove that they're actually part of that historical estate, then they should be able to actually well, that's currently control. That right? is currently but, the state of play. Yeah, but what I'm arguing is there should be a fund that's being put aside where, for instance, if Google is actually profiting off that orphaned work by having it on, on uh, Google Books, then Google should be putting aside X number of or X percent of, of revenue based on that book aside into a fund that if the, the copyright holders ever appear, then they, they get paid out. Oh, that I see what you're saying. Currently, yeah. the way it is, is that Google wouldn't be able to use it at all. Yes, Because an orphan agreed. work is unable yeah. to be used at yeah. all. Yeah. I think I'm quite opposite. Well, at least in the UK. I think, I think an orphan work, after a certain amount of time that a work has become orphaned, after that time, it should, regardless of if two years later, somebody comes up and says, oh, I'm the, the great-great-grandson and uh, the, the heir of that estate, I'd like to take up the thing. I say it should be a certain period of time and then, boom, it straight away goes to public domain. I don't argue that. There, there, there should be a, a strict time period where once that clicks over, it's public domain. Yeah. And that time period should be significantly shorter than the rest of the 50-year period if, it, for instance, it was in New Zealand. Because otherwise it just languishes, languishes in as an orphan work for, you know, up to 50 years before it becomes public domain. Absolutely. There should be a much shorter amount of time that it can be exist as an orphan work. Exactly. Orphan work should then only it- exist for like a very minimal amount of time and if nobody's come forward to claim it, it then straight away goes into public domain. It is really frustrating because all around the world, different countries have implemented this differently. Yeah. Like the 50-year yeah. rule I know is, applies to New Zealand. I'm not sure what it is in other countries, but you can bet your bottom dollar it's not 50 years in every other country. No, it might be no. 40 Probably years, 99 years. It, I, yeah, well, it might be. I don't know. We, a lot of our laws, are say, Commonwealth laws, tend to be fairly similar, but mm. even well, then it's not guaranteed. Yeah, 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 yeah. But even then it's not guaranteed. The other thing yeah. I'll, I'll just say is you're absolutely right. Uh, so I'll, just, I'll stand corrected there. You're right. If I create something and if people know it's copyright to me, when I die, it, if there's no one associated with my estate that can be contacted, then you're right. That is one of the definitions of an orphan work. So you did right there. Should we talk about Google's self-driving car? Sure. The Prius. What happened? It's been in the news. Did something crash? It it did, Is there footage? Is there footage? Is there footage of a crash? (laughs) Is that what we want to see? We want to see footage of this little... I want to see footage of a self-driving car crash. it, It was only a little... Fender bender, little oh, yeah, yeah. That is, that's just, that's not even close it was to being a little interesting. Bump. What is the story on here for? Why is there no Why is there not robot arms spread left and right? I, I want to see mass destruction. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. One one. Here's the interesting twist to this. Google claim it was a human driving the car. Other people aren't so convinced. Wait, how can they say it was a self-driving car if there was a person driving it? Oh, because there is a person in there to override in case it goes bonkers, you know, in case it goes like Windows does. Oh, yeah, right. they, they, so they so have, if you buy one of these Google self-driving cars, does it always come with a person? I can't hear you. Just like, we've got a chauffeur? <laughs> well, I think this is just for tests. This is a, a proof of concept. Oh, okay. They're, they're not yeah, yeah. out there. Oh, so this the, has I don't nothing even to think do they'd with be legal. The, the, next, the, the, the 
story of the driverless cars at Heathrow. No, we're going to talk about that soon. You can't. Oh, okay. I thought you've, now, were, you've now no, given our listeners a little little soundbite of what's going to come up next, but that's okay. It's good to keep them entertained that way. <laughs> keep them, you know, we'll wait for the next story. So anyway, just coming back to this, yeah, they, these are these are prototypes. And they do have a, a real-life human in there. And here's the thing. They did have a little bumper to bumper. Google claim it was the it was being driven in manual override mode at the time. And like I say, other people aren't convinced and think Google are just saying that because they don't want people to sort of lose uh, lose faith, if you like, in the, in the ability of self-drive cars. Well, I have to fall back on a, a quote or more like, comment because I can't remember the quote directly uh, from Jeremy Clarkson from Top Gear where they were talking about self-drive cars and would you get into a self-drive car on a motorway full of self-drive cars and his comment was well you know that one of those self-drive cars out there was repaired by some guy called Kev who bought it and decided he'd have a tinker yeah, no, I, I would I would trust a well, highway full of self-drive cars. Absolutely. The thing is, we have self-drive planes. But yeah, then, yeah, but but we, then crashes and, have, are, and unless, human drivers have such a good record, don't they? Well, that's a good point. We're, we're mm. terrible drivers. Collectively. Collectively, <laughs> we are terrible drivers. Oh, I'm not meant to drive. Yeah. We've gotten worse and worse because the cars are getting safer and safer. I, I, I think the, the Google cars are, are not even close to, to being ready for prime time and, and for citizens to actually start buying them. They're still in development. I mean, the, one, one of uh, Google's famous beta projects, but I think they're, they're on the road to uh, a societal shift where accidents on roads are a thing of the past. Here's the thing that worries me. Google Maps can be sometimes 20, 30, 40 metres out. I don't know if if a Google self-drive car... I think that's the GPS. No, no, it's not the GPS. No, it's not the GPS at all because I was talking to someone the other day who works at LINS, which is Land Information New Zealand. That's basically the, the government agency here that holds all the records of where the roads are you know, and, and where they go. And that's, in fact, where Google gets its data from, for its maps for New Zealand. Yeah, but and Google the, plotted them by GPS that was in that car, and the GPS is inaccurate. Oh, so you're saying it was – yeah, okay. But my point is, is this Google self-drive car going to rely on Google Maps? Or, or well, you know, the only behind to, to know yeah. its general vicinity, but it Surely will actually be paying attention well. to what's on the road, not... But does it know where the road is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but all roads? It's got cameras. Because the road conditions are quite well, you, different around the place. And it's what got cameras, you can actually see the roads. I hope it knows one ways. <laughs> Google's making people walk through a bus tunnel. Remember we, talk, we talked yes, about that? Yes, yes, there is that. There is that. They, Google does reckon that you that a pedestrian access exists. And also, here's another thing. In Melbourne, Australia, you don't want to tell the Google self-drive car to go to Melbourne Airport because it'll take you through the across the ocean over to Melbourne and, was it Japan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. You try it. We reported on this a while ago. You try getting directions from Google, say Melbourne City to Melbourne Airport. 
and it takes and it you across. Will take you across. And the in fact, facility. it tells you to kayak across <laughs> the ocean. That's because Melbourne Airport doesn't actually exist, doesn't it? It's not called Melbourne Airport. Oh, what is it called? Uh, there's a couple. I can't remember what they're called, but uh, I think Tullamarine is one. Well, why do they call it Melbourne Airport then? Why wouldn't you have your airport, well, your main airport called Google's, Melbourne Airport? With Google's processing power, you would have thought they would have they would know. You know, determined yeah, work, the fact work that out. Melbourne oh, the countries are different. Melbourne Airport. <laughs> exactly. The countries. I, you know, the thing is, Google Maps, knows, Google Maps knows it doesn't cope with it because it says kayak across the Pacific Ocean. So it obviously knows, <laughs> you know, it's detected that there's something funny going on there. Yeah, but it can't work out. Oh, I guess how. So it just you know. Puts, As I said, not ready for prime time. No, exactly. <laughs> but let's talk about. I will tell you what is ready for prime time. And Brett, you kind of touched on this earlier. Heathrow Airport in London, or just out of London, actually, uh, has driverless shuttles that take people from uh, Terminal Five to other parts of the to the car park. In fact, I think. Ah, yeah. so do they follow along little tracks or little paths? Well, it's it's a path. It's not actually a track like a train. But it's a predetermined path that they follow. Yeah. So oh, they're neat. not sharing it with anyone else apart from the other little pods. But it's kind of neat. Because you, yeah. Yeah, you just jump in these little pods. You press where you want to go because they can go to a number of places. And, uh, yeah. and away you go. It takes you there. It's dr- fully driverless. Yeah. That's pretty neat. It is yeah, pretty no, neat. These, these are awesome. I, I saw a, uh, a documentary about two years ago where these were in development and I was going, oh, come on, bring it on, bring it on. This is just future stuff. And, yeah, and it's actually come to pass. Here. Yeah. Well, you'll yes. have, to, you'll have to go to Heathrow. You'll have to fly there <laughs> just so you can see them and use them. I will. Okay, and when you do, so, you let us know. In fact, I'll tell you what, you could actually report. Li- I was just going to say, exactly. We'll do a live stream from there. <laughs> I'm pushing the button. The car's yeah. approaching. It looks I've, like a pod. I've pulled it. I'm, I'm getting in. Oh, I have to share it. <laughs> People are looking at me, looking at me strange because I'm talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, you might have to wear a, a visible mic or something. Ah, uh, by the time I tra- travel to, to Heathrow, it'll it'll be all good. Micro stealth technology. You won't be able to tell I'm filming anyone. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the guy who wanted to shut down an Apple MacBook ba- In fact, who can shut down an Apple MacBook battery. It's basically hacked uh, iBooks, is it, or MacBooks? I think they're called now. Yeah, yeah get, MacBooks. Get with it, get with it, Ed. You're the Mac guy. Uh, yeah, the, he's hacked uh, MacBooks. He can shut down the battery. He didn't achieve what he wanted to achieve, which was he wanted to force it to blow up the battery. But I guess shutting it down is the next best thing. Yeah. In in reading the article, he didn't really try too hard to actually blow it up either because he didn't want it blowing up in his own house. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, yeah, I think he kind of, it was a sort yeah. of a self-limiting, a bit. Yeah, yeah, it was a self-limiting goal. But yeah, he's managed to shut it down because what are the, the batteries that, that come with MacBooks and probably all laptops for that matter, have a little chip inside it that tell the battery how much charge it needs, how much it's got, how much, uh, what it's expecting and how much the what rate voltage of, should be used. Exactly. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. And the chip manufacturers, uh, to stop unauthorized access, actually put a couple of passwords on those chips. Apple don't change the password, so... Uh, Factory default, 0000. Well, I don't know what what it was, but he's obviously managed to get that information. 
and through through knowing that and obviously a little I'm guessing a little bit of electrical engineering perhaps or perhaps reading some some spec sheets I'm not sure uh, he's obviously managed to hack in there and you know reprogram it I guess and, and tell it yeah. to, to do things it shouldn't but it, I mean he's a fairly famous Apple hacker he's known as Safari Charlie because he holds the record for hacking Safari and he did that in in like under 10 seconds He's been doing it for about four years. I, I like the the reason he actually chose Apple, though. He actually says that uh, four years ago, uh, back then, the Apple products were way easier to break into when compared to Windows. Yeah. Um, but he says now, now that Lion has come out, Lion and Windows 7 are pretty pretty comparable from a security perspective. I was still under the impression that the Mac system was still easier to hack into. He he says now you're since right. Since Lion, he's, since Lion, since last week, essentially. Yeah, well, I mean that's good news for for, for Mac users if that's the case. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I always knew that you know for for a long time the the Mac OS has has been easy to hack into. Yeah, it was relying on obscurity. Yeah, as, it, as its security, which much, as yeah. we all know is no security at all. Well, the yes. thing is, hang on, but let, well, yes and no. The fact remained that even that back then, if you had a Mac, it was less likely to be compromised. Not because it's a better system, but because there's less people targeting. Because you remember, getting compromised, there's two factors in there. There is the difficulty in breaking the operating system, and there is the probability of someone targeting that operating system. And when you multiply the two together, you get your result. So from a security point of view... It was better to have a Mac, mm. not because the OS was better, but because you were less likely to to have it hacked. Well, now because the the Macs are hardware wise basically the same as a PC, and are there are so many more of them out there, and it's just so much you know there's just so much more information about these devices freely available on the internet. Just saying that you've got a Mac means you're going to be protected is is not true anymore no yeah. and, and it never was you can't just blindly say look i run a mac i'm okay but uh, so many people were yeah because they bought the myth that mac is safe when it never was the operating system absolutely you're right it wasn't and, and it still isn't but but my, most people believed that it was that it was not hackable because there were no no exploits all right. Yeah, There's I think you're right. Some people did yeah. buy that. You're right. People did buy that. Where's Cam? We need Cam on the show for this. <laughs> that was fun. That's probably why he's bailed out this this <laughs> week. He, he, he didn't want to front this story. Yeah. <laughs> so he's leaving me to fight it as the the uh, this old Mac guy on on the panel at the moment. Oh, I'll be free free to admit that with Lion out now, they've caught up. I mean, from a security perspective, as long as you're running a firewall and you've got antivirus, you're fine. Because I think Lion introduces sandboxing, which uh, mm-hmm. previous, uh, yes, even Slow Leopard didn't really do, I don't, I don't think. So th- 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 this is, in fact, it's actually causing developers a bit of a nightmare. One of the, the apps I use, in fact, this, this very app here that I'm using to record, I'll tell you, I'll give them a free plug, eh? Wiretap Studio. Give them a free plug. Wiretap Studio, fantastic product. I use it to record all our podcasts. It's uh, from Ambrosia Software, ambrosiasw.com. And the developers are having a real hassle developing it for Lion because it can't sort of hook into the audio of the different apps because they're all sandboxed. 
Mm. Well, actually, they're not yet. Actually, that's not true. But they will be in due course. Apple are slowly producing sandbox versions of the apps and releasing them over time. And it's going to, you know, so there's actually the high security in Lion is actually causing problems for developers. Yeah, interesting. I guess, I guess that's better than uh, than lower security. That's the way I see it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. hey, we can always record the studio on a little cassette tape thing that I place here. And you well, can- you would just need two computers. So line out from one into line oh, in yeah, the, the other. Oh, yeah, the analog, absolutely. The analog hole. Well, you can do a digital signal. It doesn't need to be analog. Oh yeah, true. I could do. Yeah, you're, no, you're right. Actually, I could do a digital. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, you're right. I could do that. So, but you would still need two computers. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we'll we'll see what happens. I haven't upgraded to line at the moment. Uh, well, actually, I've got my other uh, Mac computer is actually online. I've been piloting that for a little bit, and I'm kind of liking it. It's it's kind of nice. There have been reportedly quite quite a lot of um, application compatibility issues from old old versions of software that haven't been updated for line yet that just don't work. I've heard that that's an issue. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess that's to be expected. Yeah. When they change the architecture as much as they have. Yeah, that's... I really- mean, it's, it's to be expected. And I guess the good and the bad thing about Apple is that they're not afraid of, of um, basically... Uh, giving their users the single finger salute when it when it's time for backward compatibility. Yeah, they say, right, they guys, it's, a, it's time now. We've got to do it. Yeah. You know, get with it or on your yeah. bike. And uh, they eventually, yeah, you're right, they do eventually take the bull by the horns and actually do it instead yeah. of sort of having this sort of ongoing backward compatibility band-aid here, band-aid there kind of thing, emulating this. Yeah, Microsoft has never really been able to do that because they had such a large market share. That's right. That, yeah, that's right. So that was their, their I guess, their success was their, their own pitfall in, in that particular mm. area. Exactly. All right, and that's pretty much the international stories for this week, episode 128, two to the power of seven, not eight. And we'll take a short musical interlude when we come back. The New Zealand story about our newspapers not getting printed one morning. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Now, as I said just before the break, on Tuesday in the week just been, there was a major computer glitch causing a whole bunch of newspapers around the country not to get printed. Yeah, basically <laughs> newspapers run by Fairfax. So right now New Zealand Herald is sitting there smugly with, you know, hands clasped and all. But uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. The Fairfax bunch of newspapers across the country Yeah, got quite run. a few of them too. <laughs> yeah. Including the the main one here in Wellington, the Dominion Post, that didn't run. Yep, the and Southland it's... Times. Yes, yeah, Southland Times, Timaru Herald, and the Press in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I think there's a bit of a. We could so what be... did they have? Did, did their computers break, or was it a software issue? Yeah, it, it sounded a... like a software issue. It sounded yeah. like the database went down. Yeah, it was a from what I can gather a database issue. They were Wait, working till so, two in the morning to resolve it, and eventually so bailed a out. single database issue. They they only use one database for all of their newspapers. Apparently, well, they apparently, but they had they, s- they had redundancy, but the redundancy failed as well. <laughs> so they didn't have redundancy. That's not an appropriate redundancy then, because that's not no. really redundancy. No. <laughs> so so they now find out. And the I would have, that is such a bad way to run it. Even if they're trying to centralize and save costs, you don't centralize a database for that many independent newspapers. Yeah, but you they're not independent. That's the whole thing. They're, well, they're, 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 they're not at all. They share the same yeah. stories. 
Yeah, but they just still. Get, they just get slapped on a different, you know. The thing is, right now they're doing, I guess, it's the same as the New Zealand Herald, which is nationwide, except that they slap on a different thing at the beginning for Christchurch Press and Dominion Post. And sure, they probably run some different local stories. Mm-hmm. And different advertising. And different, different advertising. advertising. That's that's why they differentiate, I would be Yeah, I would actually, guess. Yeah, I think so as well. Yeah, and they should keep those things separate. But yeah, so there you go. And Unless it all falls over when one of them falls over. Or they need to actually get a redundant system, something with failover. Yeah. yeah. But isn't this amazing? A computer glitch means that the next morning you don't have your news on pulp. You have to go to the net to get it, or you buy the New Zealand Herald, which is a competing newspaper. Well, Welcome to today. Get your news online. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what Slaps I was thinking. <laughs> well, yeah, but is there something nice about sitting down to your coffee and having the paper? Yeah, well, I must admit, I do occasionally. Even if it's just sitting hat. down to have a coffee and then pinching the paper from the table next to you. <laughs> Alec, <laughs> did you say uh, sitting down having a coffee and uh, swiping on your iPad? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but it's not the same. It's completely not the same. It's way better. doesn't feel the same. You it's can't draw better. on it. You can't it's make it note. Look, I, I think, Brett, you, you know, you're right. When you've got the time and you're sitting down, you've got a cup of coffee or whatever your favorite hot drink is, and you've got the time to peruse the paper, it, it's great when it's the physical copy. When you're just, you know, on a lunch break at work and you just want to catch up with what's been happening, you yeah. jump online. Yeah. Horses for courses. Maybe, Alec, you're always busy. That's why you, you prefer the iPad version, you know, the electronic version. No, I'm just impatient. <laughs> you're just impatient. You don't want to go and get the paper. No, and the, the paper just frustrates me. You fold out the newspaper and there's a section missing or you fold it back and it rips. And- oh, look, granted, granted. There's one thing I have not been able to do, and that is read a paper properly so that it opens and, you know, I can go from uh, section to section without it. Folding, oh, ripping, that, yeah. That's all part of the, the tactile experience of a newspaper. I need a big floor space. That's what I need. As smelling manure was the tactile experience of, of riding around in a horse and cart. It's yep. part of yesterday, my friend. <laughs> Indeed. And it's, it's why people like horses, still ride horses. Still no, no, I think he's, what he's saying is that the newspaper's also part of yesterday. Doesn't mean it should go away. We haven't got rid of horses. Yeah, but we've got to have to rid of carts. Carry you don't see them on the road anymore. Yeah, you don't see them on the road. Well, not here. You still see them on the road in New York. Alabama. You still see them on the road in Alabama. <laughs> in Alabama, and yeah. And several other states Amish with uh, Amish communities. Um, <laughs> you still see them on the road in, in all kinds of places. Yeah, but Brett, come on. You, you, I'm sure you agree with Alec. The novelty. It is. It is. Uh, It's a niche. (laughs) And that's exactly where the newspapers might go, but that's fine. Let's wrap up the show. That was episode 128. I want to thank Alec from Drinkle.com for joining us on the panel uh, this week, as he always does. No problem. Did you have fun? I did. Always do. Always do. Right. We did too, didn't we, Brad? Yes. So, Brad, thank you very much for joining us as well. Always a pleasure. So that was episode 128 of New Zealand's longest running tech podcast. If you like the show, consider sending us a donation via PayPal. You can do that at boysoftech.com. See you again next week. Till then, take care, everyone. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Farewell.
And that's pretty much the international stories for this week, episode 128. We'll take a short musical interlude when we come back. One New Zealand story about our computers not getting printed. Hang our on. computers not being printed? Did I say computers? Yep. So, <laughs> it's going in the bloopers. It's going in the bloopers. <laughs> Our computer's not being printed. What am I saying? Our, our newspapers. I'll, I'll re-record that. The New Zealand Herald right now is, is sort of sitting there glumly with their... No, not glumly. Uh, what's smugly. The word? Smugly. Thank you. <laughs> I knew it was an anagram or close to smugly. 